we would be honored if you would join. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where you guys are in for a special treat because we are talking into the future. That's right. It is so far ahead. We are talking to someone that is front that's in, you know, it, technically we're recording on Tuesday night, but it's Wednesday where our guest is. I don't know how we've done it, but, you know, Alton's disappeared, so he must have broke the tent space-time continuum somehow absolutely he's branched off the sacred timeline yes the sacred timeline so we're talking with author justin woolley about his amazing book called shakedowners and i love the the first tagline to boldly go where no losers have gone before (laughs) we've all been there before some of us have felt like the loser you know so i i want i want to talk about this you know where can we losers boldly go where no one has gone before uh so yeah let's let's jump in so give us kind of a rundown of the book the story because i from what i've been told is it's kind of a mashup of uh like star trek meets oh man my brain just went it's it's probably like Imagine if Star Trek had to rely on the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's there it is. There it is. Guard- kind of the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. A mashup of those two. That would be amazing. Yes. Yeah. It's it's basically a like love letter to all the stuff that I loved growing up. So it's about a, a captain, Iridius Franklin, who's a starship captain. He's, you know, he had lofty dreams of being a explorer. He's, you know, boldly going out to seek new life and new civilizations and all those things. But he uh, spent too long drinking in his younger days and graduated bottom of his class at the Star Space Command Academy. And so was put in charge of a cargo hauler, the FSC Diesel Coast, which is like a probably the oldest ship in the fleet. And he's got an equally misfit crew with a first officer who's a... a a scientific genius but a complete nervous wreck he's got a helmsman who is really annoying and completely insubordinate most of the time and no one else will have him he's got a chief mechanic who was demoted um, and you know kicked off her ship for refurbishing ship parts and selling them to smugglers and then he's got a loadmaster who is a malignant which is like a species that um, basically evolves as like a sentient tumor on a planet-sized organism and then splits off. And so he's like a walking, talking cancer. Um, but- I've met people like that. <laughs> yeah. It's too, totally nice guy, though. Uh, totally and nice so, guy. yeah, like he's actually the sweetest crew member, but he's like <laughs> a mutated planet. And then, yeah, and then Iridius has got like another issue, which is, for reasons that are unknown, at least at the beginning of the book, he, for most of his life, technology goes completely haywire around him, which is difficult when you live in the 23rd century. And so he causes like lots of the ships he serves on to malfunction. And like one of them is at one stage, a ship seals all of its doors and then ejects all the waste product from the life support system, like the porter potty uh prank which is disgusting and then so he he 
causes all these ship malfunctions. So the fleet, when he's not flying the cargo ship, use him uh, as a shakedown. And a shakedown, and a shakedown is like when a vessel goes on the first flight prior to like its maiden voyage. They go out of you know space dock, fly around a bit, and make sure all the systems are working. And he's for whatever reason, excellent at causing things to go wrong so the engineers can have a look at all the problems with the ship and fix them. And he's given shakedown command of the Galloway, which is like the new flagship vessel. He's going to, and he takes that out. It's um, on on a shakedown run and it goes relatively well. And then he gets back and Earth has been destroyed by an insane 60 million year old artificial intelligence. So he's (laughs) left kind of in command of the most advanced ship in the fleet and has to do the save the galaxy thing uh, with his crew of misfits. I I love this. Uh, I'm just reading more on on the book. Uh, It says this book is perfect for fans of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's exactly where my mind went. My favorite (laughs) Red Dwarf. Yeah. 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 I mean, as, as you're, you're explaining this, I'm just like, yeah, this sounds like <laughs> Red Dwarf, you know? Yeah, yes, it's totally. And that's what I mean. It's like definitely a homage to all of the things that I really loved. But also, you know, it becomes its own own thing. And I think, like, you know, the whole good artists borrow great artists steal things. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to take from the best people, mash them together and hopefully get a good product. It sounds like a great product. Just, I mean, I, without even going and reading through the book, just the description and everything you you've said, it sounds like a great, fantastic book. Um, you know, I will admit it. I am not the biggest Star Trek fan. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but Star Trek, mm-hmm. yeah, this sounds like my cup of tea. I mean, uh, you know, the Orville that was, I love that yeah. more than Star <laughs> Trek because yeah. they had problems and systems were failing and yeah. You know, the captain yeah, was arguing great. with the first mate because it was his ex-wife and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's just, that's how it, I can see Star Trek really being not this weird, uh, well, what it was. Uh, yeah. For those people that love Star Trek, I apologize. It, you can love it all <laughs> you want. Uh, Dan just said, sorry, not sorry. Anyway, yes. so yeah, you know, you know what's funny is Orville also came to mind. And now I will, I realize this is not an episode about reviewing Orville. I will say this much. I think that show had a terrific opportunity that it full on squandered. I think that that show did a terrible job with a great premise. Uh, mm-hmm. But that is another episode for another day. Your book, on the other hand, it, well, okay. So your book sounds very much like it's in the same category in terms of its premise. The premise is extremely strong, borrows from familiar elements and utilizes them in unfamiliar ways. Uh, what kind of influences drove your writing as you created this book? Uh, so it's, I, I mean, obviously it's, it's similar to Hitchhiker's Guide. It's it's maybe not as absurdist as the mm. Douglas Adams, but it's got some crazy stuff in there because, I mean, I always think science fiction is is ripe for comedy because you can you know the universe is massive the space is big right so there's lots of crazy stuff out there you can use but the humor and the characters are probably more influenced by terry pratchett style Mm -hmm. of humor in that you know you've got characters like in the in the disc world series so when i was growing up like terry 
Pratchett was my favorite or still is my favorite author, probably. Good he, on you. Yeah, like just I can rent my mum bought me Color of Magic when I was probably 12 or something. And I read that and was just like, I was already reading some like sword and sorcery type of fantasy. And and then I was like, oh my God, you can do other things here. Like, you know, you can make this funny and but what I love about Pratchett is the characters can still be good at their jobs. So, you know, Sam Vimes or whatever in the city watch, like he is still good at his job. And like, you know, there are characters who aren't like Rincewind the wizard who is terrible at everything, but you know, there are there, you can have a character who is competent and yet funny. So you don't have to have incompetence. Um, and that's sort of what I wanted to take away. Like the the crew of of the the Diesel Coast and Iridius and his crew are all in their own way very competent. They just have a lot of you know eccentricities and funny behaviour, and the way they interact with each other is funny. So that was probably the influence. That kind of you know, there's definitely some absurd stuff in the universe they run into, and you know, like the 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 without spoiling too much, the the um, artificial intelligence is basically like takes um, takes root in a toy dog, like a robotic dog, and you know, and that becomes the major villain of the story. So there's like some <laughs> weird stuff, <laughs> but it's. But it's like, you know, the, the characters themselves are, uh, you know, still look like they know what they're doing sometimes. <laughs> so it was probably Pratchett for the writing style, but definitely Star Trek. Like, it is absolutely an homage to Star Trek. When I was a kid, I don't know, maybe six or so, my dad got this, started collecting this VHS like subscription service yep. of, of the original series of Star Trek where you get like a, you know, you get like a video tape a month or every two weeks or whatever with a couple of episodes on it. And he started collecting all of those and then he did the same with Next Generation. So, oh man. Yeah. So I ended up as a kid, I had like, the, I watched through all of the original series and all of Next Generation like multiple times. And like, I love Star Wars too. Um, love all kinds of science fiction but star trek was definitely the first sci-fi show i really loved that's beautiful and he then went on also to introduce me to a lot of british humor uh like red dwarf i love that show so much you know and and even monty python and that sort of you know stuff like that and so all this book is just all of that stuff and you know I've, i've written We've had four books published before this. I've done like other stuff, but I just, when I was writing this book, it was just so much fun to like, I was, and I, I, it was the first book I kind of really sat back from and went like, oh my God, like this is what I'm supposed to be writing. Like, this is who I am. This is the stuff I grew up loving. And now I get to kind of mash it all together and make my own thing. So I love it. I love the fact that like, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, it was a great feeling. <laughs> As a fellow author, I, I know that feeling, you know, when you, you know, because you're writing stuff and it's like, okay, this is good. You know, I'm not doing too bad, but you still have that kind of uh, imposter type syndrome feeling. But yeah. When you find the zone of what 
is you that you love to write, man. It's it's an amazing feeling. So Indeed. yeah, and I'm like definitely proud of of all my work I've done before. But it's yeah, this is definitely like the most fun I've ever had writing a book. Yeah. It's that piece of your soul that just is like, I'm free. Yeah, yeah and it just comes so easy yep. <laughs> when it comes. It comes out really uh, a lot easier than, oh, than other stuff. even more excited about this book. <laughs> Not so, that any of the other stuff you've written before is, is bad. It's just, it just seems like when you have that zone, that, that, that flow in what you're writing, man, it's just so much better. Yeah. So I, I'm excited, especially with all of the... Uh, the inspiration points you have you just mentioned it's like i love all of the all of that it's like so man i'll probably be reading and i'm like oh hey well there's a there's the king arthur from monty python character or the black knight <laughs> or there's lister from red dwarf yeah 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 List, lister can sometimes sometimes be my spirit animal yeah. <laughs> yeah um so one of the questions i love asking authors is you know it's we, we tend to write what we know. And as part of that, we will pour a portion of our character, of our personal, like, like our personal persona in the world. We will pour parts of it into each of the characters. Sometimes we'll create a character that is perhaps our avatar. And sometimes we create a character that is our antithesis. Is there a character you identify with most? Yeah, I think, well, I think they're all, Maybe what was good about this book is that having this crew, so Iridius, the captain, is definitely the main character. It's all for us, pretty much from his point of view. But, you know, it, it was like all of them, in a way, are a part of me. And that's why I, I think I found I enjoyed writing the crew because, you know, I grew up as the nerdy kind of kid, I guess, and um, and then super into science and maths and and things like that and went on to study like engineering which you know can I'll talk about later about how that informs the book but um also like had some issues with anxiety and stuff like that so the the first officer who's like the science geek but and really smart and super competent but so anxious that she struggles to perform under pressure was like part of me and then but then also there's part of me that's the roguish captain a little bit and then there's the smart ass helmsman who would be <laughs> crack you know cracking the jokes and stuff like that and I think they're all a little bit of me um so yeah they they all were almost like if I split my personality up and made a starship crew you're gonna get this lot so Oh, man, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes when we're writing stories, the, the story itself has its own life, its own soul. And we're just sort of the conduit that's putting the words to paper, right? We're trying to find the mm. right vernacular to describe what this thing is, but it is on its own. We're just, we're just bringing it physically into the world. Um, and sometimes what that means is that we get to a point where we know the story is telling us that it has to go a certain direction, and we wish it didn't have to, but it does. Have you had that experience, whether it was with Shakedowners or with any of your previous books? Did you ever have that point where it's like, I really don't want to do this to these characters, but I know it has to happen? Mm, that's a good question, though. That's a, yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I don't know that I 
Oh, no, actually, I probably did with this book in that initially I had written it. So so one thing I want to do with Shakedown is, is so I, I'm an aerospace engineer. That's my day job. So space is like my jam as well. And I <laughs> was like, what I wanted to do with this book in a lot of ways was also like it's not hard science fiction by any stretch of the imagination. It's definitely like a space opera type of thing. But I wanted to be like sem- as realistic as I could, like semi-realistic with the science and make sure it was all kind of backed by physics we knew and what was possible. So, you know, faster than light travel and how they do that and all these sorts of things. And one of the things I initially had done when I started writing was have that you could travel faster than light but you couldn't communicate faster than light so in star trek and star wars and basically everything every science fiction like there's never a communication delay like between you know star systems or whatever where light years light years apart when it should take you literally years to communicate they just jump on the phone like it's you know talking (laughs) to someone down the road so I had initially had started writing the book where you could travel faster than light but you couldn't communicate faster than light and it and so basically they would send like messenger pigeons like probes that could go faster than light and then that would come out the other end and communicate via radio kind of thing. And that, it just gave me too many plot issues. I was like, I had, you know, I thought, oh, this would be great because it means like you can't, if you're getting attacked by an enemy or something, you can't just communicate with the fleet, like back at home base instantly and they'll come to your rescue and it might create some nice situations. But it ended up being like a plot, device that was really difficult to overcome so i had to like renege on that and decide that you can still communicate faster than light and think of a way to do that so yeah i I guess like i you always get those issues where you've got think you've got a great idea and then it it you know doesn't work out i've had it multiple times probably now that I think about like when I've written myself into a corner or like, yeah, in my first series, which is the territory series, it's called it. So it's, it's more young adult um, than this. this is a very adult. This is an adult book, but my first series was a, uh, it's basically Mad Max meets the walking dead. So it's about like, oh, I'm, a, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah. So it's basically post-apocalyptic Australian outback, and, and 200 years after the zombie apocalypse and Alice Springs, which is, you know, the city basically in the centre of Australia, is the last remnant of, of um, humanity left on the planet because it's so remote that most of the zombies never got there and they build a big fence and everyone kind of lives in the outback. So in that story, I had um, the two main characters. There's a, a boy and a girl who are the main characters and I midway through the second book realized I needed to split them up and one had to go one way and one had to go another. And I hadn't really plotted it all out with them together for the kind of adventure. So I realized it was going to be much harder for them if they had to split up. And so, yeah, stuff like that happens all the time and you just sort of have to go with it. I think. 
what was the longest amount of time when you, you got into the flow, you sat down, you started writing, you were in the flow and you're like, I can't break this stride. I have to keep going. What's the longest you've sat down and just written under inspiration? Probably like 12 hours, I'd say Woo! on the, as a, at a stretch. Yeah. It's pretty rare for me to do that. So I have two kids a day job you know, family and commitments like we all do. And so like these days it's rare that I get more than a couple of hours to, to sit down and write. But back, <laughs> back when I had less responsibility, uh, didn't quite appreciate it. I, yeah, would sit down for like a whole Saturday, Sunday. And yeah, I, I've probably sat down at nine, 10 on a weekend morning and then written till nine, 10 that night. That's impressive. You know, with probably Twitter or something open, distracting me half the time. But. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a long writing window. I mean, normally I get one, maybe two hours. Yeah. Oh, these days it's definitely like, these days it's my, you know, my son's at sport or something, get out a notepad and madly scribble for half an hour. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know those days are, where it's like you're, you know, you're at work. And it's like, oh, this idea hits you, and it's like, crap. So you start writing down stuff. Yep, yep. He's yeah. like, I gotta get back to this later. Or you're on a, you know, there's been multiple times I've been driving somewhere, inspiration hits. So I just hit the the memo uh, note taker on my phone and just start blabbing, and then come back to it later. I, I hate how my brain works sometimes. It's like, really, this is the least opportune <laughs> moment to throw this idea at me. Yeah. And then you think, oh, I'm going to remember this though. I won't have to write it down. And then like half an hour year later, I had this idea. What was it? Oh God, it's gone. Never yep. to return. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I always take the notes down. Cause otherwise it won't come back. Like, yep. okay, you didn't take me seriously. I'm never coming back. That's it. Yeah. So, so with writing this book, um, and the you you have a kind of a unique villain you know an artificial intelligence is your mm -hmm. villain and you know it's not very human it's very inhuman was that hard to write or was that easier to write because you weren't you know limited to human limitations it's i'd say it's a bit of both it was hard to write in that you it, it didn't have yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't have a personality necessarily or and it doesn't, you know, like, um, yeah, I get it's also difficult because like you're writing about a, an, an artificial intelligence that's supposedly many times smarter or more intelligent than any other like sentient being yeah but you are a sentient being trying to write this thing so you're trying to write about it, something that's far more intelligent than you will ever be but at the same time i just set myself some programming goal goals for it basically i said like it's an artificial intelligence like it's motivated to do these things you know xyz and so as long as it was everything it was doing was to, um, you know, move towards those goals, that was its character. So, and then the, pe the, the people or the aliens and the, you know, the, 
characters in the story don't necessarily understand its motivations or why it's doing something other than, you know, it wants to wipe out all sentient life in the galaxy. That's what they think, but that's not actually what it's trying to do. So they sort of react, um, yeah, just to what it does rather than what its motivations are, if that makes sense. Oh, that does make sense. Um, You know, there's nothing more terrifying than Skynet in my life. You know, we have no clue what its motivation is. It's just wiping humanity out left and right, whatever. Um, but then you look at something like Brainiac from Superman. It's like, what? What? He's like this super intelligent program and he's messing around with Superman, but he's collecting yeah. cities from other planets. Just take the city and flee. I, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So, yeah, it was kind of, I guess the, the, the villain was inspired by like that. Yeah, the Skynet thing. The idea of the singularity that there comes a point where, you know, an intel- an artificial intelligence just becomes so intelligent that humans can't um, even comprehend what it's doing or why it's doing it. And then the, the paperclip thought experiment about artificial intelligence, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but, like, there's this, uh, and I'm completely blanking on who it was now, um, but... It's a thought experiment that was like talked about in, in AI research. The fact that if you tell an artificial intelligent to make a paper clip factory, that is the most efficient factory at making paper clips, but you don't bound it correctly, it will just turn everything eventually into a paper clip. So it will take all resources on the planet, all, and then, you know, turn everything into a paper clip and just go to the point where it starts taking over every factory on the planet and, you know, turns humans into paper clips. It just goes nuts, right? So it's like the runaway AI um, idea. So, and that's what this, this artificial intelligence is doing essentially. Nice. It doesn't yes. have limitations. <laughs> no, it's got, I mean, it's got a, it's got a, goal that it was programmed to achieve and it is doing that yeah and it just doesn't work out well for anyone squishy in the way uh, and and that kind of dovetails into a thought that i was having earlier you know oftentimes in movies where we have these superior ai you have hal you have skynet you have in fact when you mentioned 60 million year old ai i was like oh it's deep thought strikes back this is great <laughs> yeah. uh but like oftentimes not always, but oftentimes the AI is what I would describe as pristine, right? It is it is as good as the day it was created or mm-hmm. it continued to evolve itself, but only within the realm for which it was created, right? Like it keeps advancing yeah. along the same path. It's very linear. One thought that I, I'm outside of this podcast, I'm a software developer, you're an aerospace engineer. And one thing that I think we can agree on is that technology, given enough time, breaks down. Like it, it either does it, it corrupts, it corrodes. We have external uh, tainting factors that come in. You know, um, even when you have AI, even when you have these uh, organic AI that are trying to build something as simple as like what's a what's a two wheeled or a three wheeled vehicle that can travel the furthest distance, and you go through these organic algorithms that occur, right? Um, even so, you, it ends up producing a whole bunch of errors along the way and then learns from those errors mm. and tries to correct, right? So here's a 60 million year old AI 
is your AI corrupt? Has it actually corrupted or has it remained pristine and it's just simply unbound as the paperclip maximizer? No, it's broken. It's insane. Like, love it. So <laughs> it's that's the reason that it is a threat to the galaxy. Basically, is because it had a, a, a it was developed by a previous civilization like sixty million mm-hmm. years ago to do a certain task. I won't spoil that because it does spoil. Thank you, thank you. Things in the book, but it it is now trying to do that same thing, but it is it is glitched to hell. It is like no, it's. <laughs> gone it's gone in it's basically lost its mind and and then the thing it is trying to do is is not necessarily um let's say it's not necessarily um going to work on the life that exists in the universe now or in the galaxy now so it is causing a lot of a lot of issues does the AI speak? Does it like communicate uh, out loud? It, it does eventually. Yeah. What so accent it, does it have? Dog. It has, it has dog <laughs> accent. Yeah. Well, so it is. A, it, it takes. So it basically downloads itself into. So it, at the beginning of the the book, Iridius and his crew on the cargo ship are delivering a cargo load of artificially intelligent toy dogs to a to a a, a planet and they managed to get the artificial intelligence accidentally downloaded into a toy dog. So right. it is, so it is a dog for so the majority I, of the book. Folks at home, could you please just rewind this about 20 seconds and take note of how fast that answer was. What accent does it have dog? And it's just like, got it <laughs> done. It's over. So yeah. So it does speak to the characters eventually. Um, but it is, through the mouth of a oh, please toy tell dog. me it's like scooby-doo that would be hilarious i mean you're a better no, writer than it's... that you're a better writer than that but that would also no, like no i'm not that. because i just as soon as you said that i said damn it, I wish it was... <laughs> let me let me ask I you this. have done that i should have had some rock roll <laughs> rock roll you're doomed <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, There's so, always room for a sequel, right? That's it. <laughs> yep. Okay, if we were to do Shake Downer's Justice, would mm-hmm. it be a movie, a, a series of movies up to like, say, a trilogy, just to keep it nice and, and consistent, or a series? What would you do? Uh, probably a, a series of movies, I think. Like, well, this would be, it's a standalone story in a sense. So, this would be a single film probably in a trilogy or something like that. Yeah. Okay. And let's pretend for a moment that your book gets optioned and you mm-hmm. get to choose the cast. Give us an idea of who plays whom in your book. I really hate this question. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone asks me this, I'm like, ah. Oh, is it because know, there are too many like, good choices or there aren't yeah, enough good choices? Yeah, no, it's it's probably too many choices. But I'd I'd say so like the Iridius, the main character, he like I said, it's like, you know, if Star Trek had to rely on the Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's very difficult to go past Chris Pratt Fair. as like the even though he's already like Star Lord, but right, I would say, like not Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt, 
parks and recreation. That was Chris my next Pratt. question. <laughs> like, which Chris Pratt? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And then, like, yeah, the rest, it's very hard. Uh, I, I, tr- I actually, I think I find this question difficult because be, I try not to do this deliberately when I'm writing. I often... I know some some you know authors or writers will write with someone in mind, like you know this right. is a bit like whoever, and then they, that gives them a good picture. But I really deliberately try not to do that, so I then find it difficult to like say who would play this character. Um, yeah. Well, if you start pulling like Zoe Saldana and Vin Diesel, I'm going to put the stop on it. But Chris Pratt, <laughs> Chris Pratt, you can have. Absolutely. Okay. What about the malignant? Because like already, like in my head, I, I have two thoughts about who would play the malignant. But I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Because you said he's like, he, he's, he's basically like a sentient tumor of a planet. Yeah. And yeah. he's also like the nicest being on the ship he's the kindest thing so like who would you get uh probably like uh, maybe like jack black but in like a lot of makeup and like (laughs) but not because he's also he is still funny like he's yeah he is a funny guy oh here we go oh here we go typical okay um the it was the post it was the most cliched thing, the, the postman just came. So the dog has gone <laughs> Barking at the mailman. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, though maybe Come Jack on. Black. I like it. I like it. So so two thoughts came to my mind, and you don't have to agree with this because you are, after all, the creator. Thank the maker. But anyway, uh, so I was thinking like Jonah Hill would make a great malignant. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. even Michael Sarah. Now, Michael Sarah in real life is very it can be a different story. But like Michael Sarah has that innocence in his persona that he can portray, that 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 naivete. And I think maybe that would benefit the malignant. But that's just two thoughts that I had. Jonah yeah, Hill, I, I Michael went, Sarah. I went completely different. I'm thinking like you have I d I don't know what he does he look humanoid? I mean the malignant. Yeah, he's he's humanoid. Um, oh, oh yeah. okay. I mean, you could d- go like Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That voice like can either, I think Benedict Cumberbatch, first of all, he can do freaking anything because he's yeah. an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I do yeah. not want to say that he can't pull this off. What I will say is do. that his voice, I think, lends itself to authority, narcissism, or menace more than it lends itself to kindness and uh, generosity and altruism, right? Well, that, that's when he does a weird accent with it. Or, or, or you go with Tom Hiddleston. That's just his accent. Don't be racist. No, it's okay. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> or, or you go Tom Hiddleston. I think Tom Hiddleston with, you know, especially his latest portrayal with Loki, I think. Oh my gosh, Tom Hiddleston's fantastic. Yeah. Or, or, or you go an Owen Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Owen Wilson has been surprising me lately. That's another episode. That's another time. But yes, yes. <laughs> Owen Wilson. That's a possibility. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think then... I'd probably give I'd give the first officer the the kind of dorky science uh, first officer would probably be like an Anna Kendrick type. Oh, uh, oh I love you it. Know, yeah. So like the reserved kind of, but still, you know, got buckets of personality, but quite can definitely pull off the 
anxious geek thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that's an excellent choice. I love that. Um, is uh, you know, borrowing from both Red Dwarf and Star Trek and all of the other sort of high concept sci-fi comedy or otherwise, oftentimes the ship is a character in the in the story. Is your ship mm. a character or a vessel? It's a it's it's a yeah it's a vessel but it is definitely so it's it's the only ship that like iridius doesn't cause malfunctions on like because <laughs> it's, it's space. so old and yeah crap so it is like it, it doesn't really have as many issues so he loves it even though it's a you know absolute piece of junk like he loves it for that single reason that it doesn't go haywire on him all the time and so for him he still um you know loves that ship and then he gets the chance to you know the most advanced ship and and but the whole the, the the ship plays like a bit of a role in the theme of the story i think more than as a character so it's about you know the whole thing is he's you know feels like he's never going to be a great captain because he's got a terrible ship and then he gets a chance to fly the greatest ship and doesn't really make that much difference to how good a <laughs> captain he is and so the, the, it's about you know like for him about learning that it's not the ship that makes the captain kind of thing you know you, you don't need the enterprise to be a hero so in that way, it does play a big role in the story. That's awesome. Now, do you, I mean, maybe we're getting off into like NDA territory here, but this is your product, this is your product, your IP, so you get to say, but do you intend to follow Shakedowners up with the sequel? Yes, I do. I am already in the process of writing about halfway through, so. That's amazing. Um, and, and, and Shakedowners, yeah. has that dropped? Is that available in it the is, US? It is, yes, it's available now, right now. Came out last week. So um, it is available, uh, yeah, everywhere worldwide right now, at least online. So it's available in a physical copy. Is it also available as a Kindle product? Yes. And what yeah, about they, what about Audible or like? A, uh, not yet. Looking, okay. where it's something I probably be coming a little bit later on down the track but definitely like i definitely want to get an audio audio book done it's um yeah like i love audio book books personally i listen to them all the time and so i always like really want to see my books in audio so i don't blame you and especially with like i First things first, audience, we are not endorsed by Audible. We are not endorsed by Justin Woolley. That said, uh, Audible has done a ton to advance the audiobook industry. It's kind of changed that whole perspective. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a child of the 80s and a teenager of the 90s. Like, I remember, like, I always, I still refer to it as books on tape, which I shouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, but that said, like, audiobooks as a platform has completely changed and we've gotten we've sort of like returned to like a new golden age of sorts with audio dramas right with mm. ambient audio and with multiple actors and it's just, it's a beautiful amazing thing i love it to pieces so i'm with you i think audiobooks are amazing All yeah right. i love them 
I, I think they're terrific. Like they let me read while I'm driving a car and then oh, yeah. not die. So good on you. <laughs> yes. yes. So do you mind if I, if I put you through a lightning round of questions really quick? Sure. Okay. Awesome. Ready? You ready? There's, I want this yeah, to be oh. like, like almost like word association. I want fast, fast answers. Okay. okay? All right. This All right here we go. Word association. <laughs> All right. Justin, what is your middle initial? Ah. Excellent. And what is your favorite color? Blue. What is your favorite number? Seven. What's your favorite book of all time? Oh. I can't do it. I can't word associate the favorite book. Um, I don't. I, it's, it's too difficult. That's, that doesn't have an association in my brain. Like the synapse doesn't connect that fast. It has to sort through every book ever. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, give me three titles that you love. Um, I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, I love, can I cheat and say the Discworld series? Sure. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, and then I, I'll go totally different to the comedy thing and say The City and the City by China Mieville, which is is maybe just on my mind because I reread it not that long ago, <laughs> but it's an excellent book. So excellent, excellent. What 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 kind of book is that, just so we know? So it's a like genre. Yes, it's it's a fantasy novel. Yeah. Okay, awesome. It's awesome. it's a it's a it's a kind of guess a weird fantasy i suppose you would if you got micro genre on it that's fair that's fair and uh let's do the same kind of thing with movies do you have a favorite movie or like a few movies that you just adore jurassic park the original yeah of course um i love uh like I do have a lot. I like, I love like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, like all of these classic 80s era movies that I'm re-showing my children at the moment. <laughs> yes. And and even though it makes me uncomfortable, I cannot deny the term classic in this case. Yeah. It's but classic. yeah, these, these are movies I saw in theaters as a kid, right? Yeah. Uh, and speaking of movies, uh, this is also still lightning round. So please stay with me on this one. But where do you stand on 1983's Crawl? Really? Is, this is a must. This is an ongoing debate then. I've the, put this into, is an ongoing is conversation. Yes. Yes. This is important. Uh, okay. This is important. Like, as in it's so bad, it's good. That's where I stand on it. <laughs> I can't tell if I want to give you a high five or feel bad. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I, I think that gives merit. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. You don't know. Krebs is a huge Kroll fan. Okay. It, it is a question that he asks everyone. Yes. Right. And, and, and it's more for my entertainment than anything else. But I am just really, in fact, actually, I'm gathering like empirical data, right? So, so I'm glad to hear it. So you consider it so bad, it's good. Is that correct? It's like in the same vein for me as Conan and like, masters of the universe and those movies you know that were like good choices good choices these are like good but they're not 
good movies, but I love them. <laughs> At least you didn't say it was like Birdemic, right? Where right. like Birdemic is so bad or Sharknado is so no, bad that yes. it's good, right? I don't even know if you can call it Masters of the Universe, Masters of the Universe, because the only thing it has in there from the cartoon is He-Man. Skeletor, He-Man. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And Skeletor. And Skeletor. He-Man, Skeletor, and Evil Lynn. I said, oh, oh, I couldn't. I'm sorry. It cut out and I couldn't hear you. I apologize. Oh, okay. That's You're right. Out. But it also had Courtney Cox and it also had yeah. like the tripod for a nuclear device. So I'm not really sure where we're yeah, going the, with this. That, but. that acted like an Apple iPod. Yes, uh, absolutely. A light show. <laughs> it was a keyboard with no marked keys. And yeah. we all know how well that goes. You know, they could have totally put in Orco, but they didn't. They put some weird... Well, they, they gave us Billy Barty, and that was just as good. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'm just, I'm just excited for the new Masters of the Universe on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. That cartoon looks so amazing. <laughs> Next month. Uh, yeah. All right. So so let's let's kind of sum this up. So Justin Woolley, your newest book, Shake Downers, is available. It dropped last week. And uh, of, of all the places we could get it, where would you recommend? Should we go to Amazon? Should we go to Barnes and Noble? Like, where should we go to get your book? Uh, if you want the Kindle, like the ebook is a Kindle exclusive, so it is. Ooh, it's, uh, it's it's in the Kindle Unlimited. Take that, uh, Nook. Yes. Well, when you <laughs> that is, I, like I'm not gonna say bad things about Amazon because my book's exclusive to Amazon. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, you know, they are they are something of a monopoly on the industry. But that's true, uh, true. Yeah, so Kindle, it's a Kindle book if you want the ebook, but you can get the uh paperback anywhere. So anywhere yeah. you would normally buy your paperbacks. Absolutely excellent. Uh Justin, it has been a thrill speaking to you and I want you to know Absolutely, genuinely, I will be buying your book. It sounds phenomenal, and I can't wait to discuss it with you further. I hope we stay in touch. Yes, thank you. I'd love to. Uh, do let me know what you think. I always love to hear what people Absolutely. think about. Absolutely. Hopefully, I won't say it's so bad it's good. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, uh, like, at least you said it's good. That's, That's right. What really matters. So you're saying it's good. <laughs> exactly. You're saying I got a chance. Yeah. So I'm excited for it. I'm super thrilled, man. Thank you so much for working so hard to bring this book to life. I am certain it will only benefit the uh, the geek world, the nerd culture. It sounds amazing. Thank you for your hard work. No worries. I wrote it for the nerds, the misfits, people like me. So heck yes. <laughs> well, you're you're in good company here. So. All right, folks, uh, you know, go out and get, pick up this book. Uh, the, the best way to, to show Justin some love is to go buy the book, uh, give reviews, give honest, solid, good reviews, because uh, that allows Justin to write more books. Uh, so go out, pick it up, go give this book a try. So with that said, we'll catch you next time. And Dungeon Crawlers, tell your story, whatever it may be. And as always, whether you absolutely suck working with technology, always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.